Hello there. Welcome to the Christ Covenant Sermon Talkback. The Sermon Talkback is a chance for pastors and members of Christ Covenant to process the sermon, ask questions to the preacher, and more practically apply the content of the sermon. If you have a question for the Sermon Talkback, please text it to the Text to Pastor line at 678-951-9041, or you can ask through Twitter by tweeting to Jason directly at Jason Edwin Dees. Enjoy. Well, we had a, a really fun time, I think, getting ready for this passage. It's one of those passages that you could talk about for a long, long time. Obviously, Christians have been talking about this passage for a long time. This past Sunday, we looked at Genesis 32 and this idea of salvation, and I'm joined today to talk about it on the Sermon Talkback with our very own Blake Rogers and uh, Jason Byers, um, who's one of our elders. And so, guys, welcome. Glad you're here. Thanks. Glad to be here. Uh, You know, Genesis is an interesting book. Uh, even this morning, Blake and I met, uh, we're recording this a little later than normal because of the duck and the goose summit. Um, but Genesis, you know, even as we were looking at the next passage, it's one of those books where there's so many layers to it Mm -hmm. that you, it's hard to even stay focused on one theme. Mm -hmm. It's hard to stay focused on like one idea. Yeah. I mean, it's one of the greatest pieces of literature in human history. Yeah. I mean, I mean, it's, it's amazing. And it really is, and I think like the deeper that I get into it, the more I'm kind of amazed by it. Um, so the first week, last week, if you were with us, we looked at the idea of election. This week, we looked at the idea of salvation. Uh, but again, there's a lot of different things that you can learn in this. You know, there, there's just this idea of kind of like pain as an ongoing teacher. Uh, there's this idea of vengeance. There's this idea of justice. There's this idea of offering. Um, but we looked at the idea of salvation, uh, particularly kind of in these two ways, how man pursues salvation and how God pursues salvation. Uh, so Blake, I'm curious as we get started, just kind of thoughts, impressions from the text and or the sermon. Yeah. Um, I think when you're introduced to this, uh, this little section of scripture, uh, on the heels of a larger section of scripture that talks about Jacob fearing when he would see Esau again. And you have all this this um, this buildup, and then you come to verse twenty-two, and uh, where Jacob he he that same night it says this, his same night he arose and took his two wives, two two female servants, his eleven children, and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream, everything else that he had, and Jacob was left alone. And there's a little bit of tension there. And yeah, it's like when you read it as a story, you stop right there, and Jacob was left alone. Yeah, that and night a, he stayed by himself in yeah. the camp. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of day. I think, like, as we read this as a narrative and as just a, a story, uh, you know, my thought went to, man, Esau got him. <laughs> Esau got him. He was found him alone in the dark. Jacob, his whole past had just come back to haunt him right here. The birthright that he stolen, that he had stolen, was going to be taken back on the river this night yeah it's kind of like if you were watching this as a movie Mm -hmm. and they didn't in the movie reveal to you and you didn't know the story and they didn't in the movie reveal to you who the man the dark figure was Mm -hmm. you would guess it's it's esau Esau. yeah he's getting his birthright and and if you're watching a movie the scene is likely it's going to be dark the only light being the light of the moon and the stars and this this shadowy figure approaches 
you won't know the identity. So I totally get where you're coming from. I, I had not considered that before, but I, I yeah. agree. And it was dark, right? I yeah, mean, this is, keep in mind, this is the same guy who had uh, consummated one marriage and didn't realize who he was consummating <laughs> the marriage with. Yeah. So movies he, haven't changed a lot. He didn't have good <laughs> stories. Haven't changed. Jacob did not have good night vision. Um, no. And so you can totally guess that this is Esau, but but then again, I think it's clear in the text. We even said, like, is it Esau that's kind of representative? And, and I do think, like, even in the sermon, uh, I didn't, like, say this super, super explicitly, but I tried to kind of present um, the, the moment of getting thrown off the mountain or getting realized, like, Esau is coming with 400 men. You know, at, at least part of that is Esau, I think, representing judgment that is coming. Mm-hmm. Um but I think this is something a, a, a little different. We can talk about it more as we, we go on. But, but Jason, I'm curious, what are some impressions you had? Yeah, the, the, the primary thing that struck me um, was who you chose uh, to focus our attention on. Um, I think it's typical for any of us to show up on, to, at church on Sunday mornings expecting that we're going to hear a great sermon and we're going to find some little nugget that is of... Um, pretty a unique application to our lives. What's the lesson that I can leave on Sunday with that I can then go apply to my life? And that I think that's the typical way that we read this story. Um, we see ourselves in the weakness of, of Jacob. And um, I was really struck, by the way, that you pointed us to ask what is probably, well, certainly the most appropriate question that we ought to ask first after reading any passage of Scripture, which is, what does this tell me about God, mm-hmm. right? Um, not how can I apply this to my life. That's a secondary question right. to ultimately, um, after we read Scripture, trying to understand uh, what this teaches us about the creator of the cosmos. Well, and I even gave a category for that type of reading, which is like the Atlanta Christian, and probably like the normal human Christian, right? Like, uh, what am I to take from this? And so... You know, I can see myself in Jacob. I realize that I have my weaknesses. I need God too. And if I can learn from my mistakes and learn from my defeats, then I can go and live a very successful life. Um, But really, I think like the hope of the Christian life, and I think what we're supposed to understand in this story, I mean, I think it's, you know, this beautiful passage right there at the very end where in verse 30 he says i have seen god face to face and yet my life has been delivered i mean i think that's the point of the story which is probably why i spent some time there the point is uh not like what little practical lesson can you take to keep living your life it's have you seen god and how have you seen god and i think those are two things that really come out in the story. Yeah, mm-hmm. so, so there is personal application. Oh, yeah. It's yeah. just in, <laughs> it's it's not where we expect mm-hmm. or maybe have been taught that it is here. It is in rightly understanding how it is that God makes himself known. To God him. becomes the center of the story, though, yeah. and not yourself. As, yeah. as he always ought to be. Right, yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. The Bible's, Bible's not just another self-help yeah. book. It's God's self-disclosure to humanity that results in if believed, communion with God. Mm-hmm. So there's kind of two, there's three big ideas that I wanted to get across in the sermon. You know, first is the way that man typically goes before God, and that is that we present God our strength. Like we, we try to pursue salvation with our strength, just like Jacob did. He paraded 
all of these things that he had done with his life in front of God. And of course, you know, I hope that we realize that like nothing we've done can stand ultimately before God on the last day. The second thing, this is kind of the thing we we're just talking about, that we pursue God in our weakness. And obviously there is a measure of understanding your own weakness in terms of knowing God. Um, you know, Jacob, he realized he was wrestling with God. His hip was touched. His, his whole hip, uh, just by God touching it, is pulled out of socket. He's obviously dealing with somebody very, very powerful here. Um, but it's not, we don't meet God just in our weakness. We, we also meet God, and I use this phrase, in his weakness. And I think this... Um, I think some people were maybe a little confused by this, so I'm glad we're doing this talk back because I want to clarify this. Um, I certainly don't mean to say, and this gets to one of the questions that I was asked, uh, and I was really grateful, I'll just say this, I was really grateful we got a lot of text-to-pastor questions this week, which I think are great. But obviously I'm not saying that God is weak. I'm saying God comes to us in his weakness, or maybe better put, like God shows himself to us in a knowable, vulnerable woundable way. Uh, God comes to Jacob um, not in his full strength. He comes to him in this in this figure where at one point it even says like the figure realized that or this man realized that he could not overpower Jacob. Like what, what are you supposed to do with that? Like there is this again I'm just using the word weakness that God comes to Jacob with and then, of course, Jacob ultimately realizes that he has been he has been looking at, he's been knowing God. Uh, this wrestling match, I'll just say this, and I tried to give this illustration with the illustration of me wrestling with my sons. It's not about winning or losing. It's about knowing or not knowing. And God comes to Jacob in this way so that God can know Jacob, obviously, but more so that, so that Jacob can know God and see God face to face. Um, God veils his strength in order that Jacob, a fallen and a weak man, mm-hmm. could know him. And that's exactly how we can know God. We, right. we meet God because he is veiled, because he's been vulnerable, because he's been woundable, because he made himself killable on the cross. Mm-hmm. Um, Which, again, like, is, is the Bible not the most beautiful interesting story so unexpected i mean um you know jesus dying on the cross suffering at the hand of the roman government and the work of you know coinciding with the pharisees and the jews and all they're in this was not a new idea um at all this you see glimpses and the appetite gets wet i guess for these kinds of um things and and this genesis story is pointing us forward uh, to a day when when all of these hints or shadows of what has been seen will be fulfilled in Jesus. It's a really neat story. Mm. One of the questions that we got is, uh, why wouldn't God say his name? Um, which I think is a great question. Mm-hmm. Why did he only ask Jacob's name before he blessed him? Um, so l- let's talk about that. I really didn't deal with this in the sermon. Um, again, I think, why wouldn't God say his name? Uh, I mean, the answer is, I don't really know. I think that uh, Jacob figured it out, though. Uh, and I think it, uh, again, probably relates to this idea that God wanted Jacob to see him and know him and experience him, not just kind of an idea of him. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Any thoughts you guys have on that? 
why didn't God share his name? Like I said, I'm not, I'm not 100% sure, but I do know that like um, when when I ask a stranger or if I was to ask Jason, even though I know you, what is your name, you would just tell me your name, and you were given that name because likely it was a family name or maybe your parents just liked how it sounded, right? But for someone to ask, what is your name, it's almost to say, what kind of God are you? Mm-hmm. Because names weren't just randomly right, chosen. Yeah. They were denotive of uh, who they represented. And, and somehow, Jacob, in this wrestling match with this knowable, touchable, you know, again, weak, uh, accessible God, um, he, he, this statement in verse 30 is one of like great fear. I have seen God face to face and did not die. You know, I, and so one of the things I said Sunday is the way God pursues salvation is coming to us in his weakness so that we can ultimately know his strength. How do you get to know God? You see him on the cross dying for you. You see him on the cross, you know, and obviously we believe in a triune God, the son being crushed by the father, um, atoning for our sin. And then, of course, so that we can know ultimately the power of God in the resurrection and the overcoming of sin and death that Christ has achieved uh, on our behalf. And so, yes, I think at the end of this, you know, how much of all that Jacob understood, but, but he knows, okay, God has made himself known to me, and now I have seen God Almighty and yet not been killed. That, that, I sort of read into the, the question that um, God asks, just looking at verse 29, Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. I almost read that as if uh, God is saying, why are you asking me a silly question? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who, who do you think? You know who I am. You know who, open your eyes. Yeah. Accept what you already know about who I am, right? Um, don't waste your and my time by asking me questions, the answers to which both of us already know. We had this interesting question about, we always make the statement that God's wrath was displayed on the cross. What did this entail? And the question goes on to say, look, Jesus is obviously was a gruesome death, but there are other gruesome deaths. Uh, and uh, so, how, you know, what does it mean that God's wrath was displayed on the cross? Um, I think that's a great question. Again, kind of a little off topic, but it's related to what we're saying. I remember as a child or as a young, you know, guy kind of asking the same question, like, is Jesus's death, I think the question you're asking is, why is Jesus's death so powerful? Um, I remember asking this to kids, like, was it, was it the most painful death? You know, did Jesus die the most painful death on my behalf? Um, and then you imagine, well, there could be a more painful death, right? Jesus just hung on the cross for six hours. Um, what if somebody hung on the cross for seven hours? Or what if, you know, so I remember kind of like looking at the physiology of the death of Christ on the cross a death of Christ on the cross one as, as a child and thinking through that. But what I came to understand, obviously, is what's really going on mm-hmm. with the death of Christ is that the, the, the physical death of Jesus Christ on the cross is important. It happened in history. It, it is a display. It is a human display of this cosmic thing that's really going on, and that is the fullness of the weight of God's wrath against sin being poured out on his Son. So when you look at the death of Christ, yes, you should see the gruesomeness of it and the physical pain and the emotional pain and the betrayal of his friends. But all of that really is just a type or a picture of 
what's really going on there, and that is this cosmic reality of sin being atoned for, of of wrath being satisfied mm-hmm. through Jesus on the cross. Uh, but but a great question, and I'm uh, I'm really glad to clarify that. I don't think anything else on that from you guys. I would suspect that whenever we see, just do a quick word study of the word wrath in Scripture, I would bet that any time the word wrath is mentioned, that it's usually, it's, we're going to find that it's in response to some uh, amount of unrighteousness or um, a, a meeting out of justice. And so uh, when we think about God's wrath being poured out on Jesus on the cross, focus less on the gruesome nature of it, which is hard to miss, right? But maybe in answering this question, it's important to think of the the pairing of God's wrath with uh, his response to unrighteousness and this meeting out of judgment in the act of of Jesus's crucifixion. Yeah, and, and I think, like, what was Jesus experiencing on mm. the cross? It wasn't just the physical pain of the whip or the nails. It was the weeping and gnashing of teeth that we rightly feel for our sin before Almighty God, for all of eternity, squeezed into, if you will, the period that he was making atonement for our sin. And how that all plays itself out in cosmic reality, again, I don't know. But that's how we're to understand the cross is it is our death, it is our guilt being satisfied, being taken care of by Jesus um, on the cross. So a great it's question just about the atonement. Not wrath for wrath's sake, I guess. It's, no, always, no, it's, no. Always, it's paired with... Perfect justice. Justice and yeah. judgment and a response to unrighteousness. And, and yeah, all these the, sorts of the scale, you know, it's as if you will, the scale should be tipped back to even, but mm-hmm. because of just the, the, the beautiful nature of the gospel, it's not just that Jesus has atoned for our sin, he's also given us his perfect righteousness. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm, I'm doing a scale thing with my hands here <laughs> that uh, you guys can't see. All right, anything else on that, Blake? Or if not, we had one more question. No, get the other question. All right, so why did he let, why did the man let Jacob win to build confidence for facing his brother. And again, as I said before, I don't think this is about winning or losing. I think the point that you're supposed to take away from this is in the wrestling match, Jacob met God. And then if I've seen God, I'm, I'm okay to see Esau, you know? And mm-hmm. of course, when we see the next passage, he doesn't put anything in between him, him and Esau, and he, he goes to Esau. And obviously Esau is, is loving and forgiving. I don't know anything to add to that. Um, no, I mean, it's, it's, it's amazing um, that Jacob, and we, we know Jacob to be the heel snatcher, which his name means, the, the deceptive guy who's always seeking blessing uh, from others, it seems. Um, and, and he's kind of like takes on this little bit of a scoundrel character, and yet God, deal, God restrains himself from dealing with him finally. Right. Know? And so I just think it's interesting um, that God graciously dealt with him and even he even mentions this later in in chapter 33 um he, he describes to esau that god has dealt graciously uh, with him i wonder if he reflects on on this very moment when he says that mm-hmm. 
I got nothing to add. It's a hard one. I leave it to the seminary educated guys. But I do. I will say. I think your example, your illustration of a dad wrestling with his young sons and the the bonds that are forged there. I mean, surely the the boys know they because, come to understand the power, but then yeah. they also come to appreciate the. At some points in the wrestling father. match, though, they kind of think they're winning, you know? Yeah, yeah. They, they, I, they, so it, it, I think it's a really good example because, the, yeah, the, deep down they probably know, okay, dad could crush me here. But they also, like, they're, they're so in the match that, that they don't feel like it's just a game. It's more than just a game to them. Um, I think that uh, um, there was one thing I was going to kind of add. I think that Christians, when you start talking about, again, like the weakness of God, and again, I'm not here to say, this is the hypostatic union, right? This is, this is hard because is Jesus fully God or is Jesus fully man? Both. He's both, right? And so the fully godness of, of Christ, like we don't wrestle with as much. It's like, okay, yeah, he's fully God. He's all powerful. He's omnipotent. He's omniscient. It's the fully manness of Jesus that I think Christians traditionally have struggled with, that you can actually know him as a man, and he has fully veiled his divinity in this perfectly knowable way to where you can know Jesus without a mediator and not die, right? So even like Roman Catholics historically have struggled with this, right? Roman Catholics oftentimes will pray to saints or pray to Mary or whatever because they're kind of looking for a mediator between them and Jesus because there's this high understanding of the full divinity of Christ, which is right. But hopefully what, what we understand in, in a pure biblical theology, and I think this passage helps us understand, is that God comes to us in this knowable, vulnerable, veiled way to where we can actually know him and meet him uh, and see him and not die. Mm-hmm. And that's a beautiful thing yeah. to believe, and I do believe it. Uh, and it and it, it gives us confidence to, to keep approaching our Lord with confidence and uh, with assurance because he's come to meet us. Well, guys, great conversation for Jason Byers and Blake Rogers. I'm Jason Dees. Thanks for listening.